I was sitting in a petrol station last night and I was calming and oh mother of god the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes they are that mad. was the one lad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental but yeah that's don't go to rock subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTBGAA welcome to the Mike Quirk podcast now give me my theme music This series is brought to you with the help of PST Sport. PST Sport is a design and build specialist contractor focusing exclusively on the design and construction of artificial grass pitches and supporting infrastructure for soccer, GAA, rugby, hockey and tennis. PST's portfolio includes over 50 FIFA certified artificial grass pitches as well as multiple pitches tested and approved for World Rugby, GAA and FIH standards. PST Sports have done over 500 artificial grass pitches for clubs, schools, colleges and local authorities in Ireland and the UK for all different sporting codes. Visit pstsport.com for more details. Okay, welcome welcome again everybody. Um I suppose last week was our was our first one of the second series and and this time I'm delighted to welcome uh, Fionn Fitzgerald. Uh, I suppose he'll be best known to people from from his role in his days playing with Kerry, captain in Kerry to the last All-Ireland before this one in, in 2014. Um, obviously a Dr. Croaks man below in Kerry and has won plenty with them and, and is now a lecturer in, in MTU Kerry uh, working in the health and leisure department. So um, Fionn, great to have you on, man. Delighted to be able to talk to you. Thanks, Mike. Um, a nice initiative too as well. I really um I like the the connection with a charity as well. So hopefully, obviously, coaches can benefit out from it, but um, and parents as well. But also that there's a a few bob being earned as well. So yeah, yeah for you. sure. So and I and I would have said that you know last week, and I'll say it again at the end of this one, lads. That that is the two kind of dual purposes, I suppose. One, we we definitely want to provide some some good content for for coaches, and and hopefully that we can improve what they're doing. Um, sort of the kids are getting a little bit more out of it, but also as as Fionn mentioned. Um, there's a charity element to it and a fundraising element, which I'm I'm trying to raise a few quid for um, Recovery Haven in Tralee, who are an organisation who provide free cancer support services for the people of Kerry. Uh, so again, like I would have said last week, if if you do find value in in uh, in the episodes, then it would be great, obviously, to find a link in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page at Mike Quirk and and throw a couple of euros in there. It's going, it's all going to a very very worthy cause. To be fair. Um, so Fionn, just I suppose to as a, as a little bit of context to, to get started, man. Um, your playing days, obviously, we're not going to spend you know too much time because this is about maybe the research that you're looking at and and how fascinating that is from a coaching point of view. But ha- was your research in any way informed by your 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 playing days or your experiences as a as a youngster? Um, it certainly was, Mike. I think yeah. Um, ultimately. I suppose the type of stuff I am researching, which we'll probably talk about a little bit more soon, is um I can trace a lot of and relate a lot a lot of this back to maybe my own underage career, um, not just in football, but in, in other sports as well. So um I think yeah, I think it's the the curiosity from playing and as I got older and then obviously studying studying different areas and different parts, I suppose kind of brought about this really, essentially. Yeah. So it's yeah. a bit of both, a little bit of both. Yeah. So I suppose for people that aren't aren't aware of you, you're you're also a PhD candidate, and you're looking your research is is particularly around the age of or the the kind of topics of bio banding and relative relative age effect and 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 the physical maturation rates. Now, for for most under sevens, nines, tens, fifteen coaches, that that doesn't sound like a, it it means a whole pile. So maybe maybe you could give us a kind of an overview of 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 what it is you're you're looking at really in a research context. Okay, so basically, like previously at undergrad level and masters, I had looked at relative age effect, which essentially some would be aware of it. A lot of parents, when you discuss it, or coaches will be familiar. So the idea of when it, when a player is born. So for example, Johnny is born in um, January, and in a under fourteen age group, there's someone else born maybe in December. So that that whole maybe eleven month uh, difference or twelve month difference that can go on. So that was something I found quite interesting. And we found, obviously, going back maybe 10 years ago or so, that it, similar to a lot of other sports, there was a, a big, I suppose, bias towards people born earlier in the year, um, particularly at, um, we'll say, el- elite level or selection squads and so on. And that's that's across the board in, in sport. Um, 
so that was one kind of starting point. But the, what we're kind of looking at a little bit more in detail now is looking at the um, the effects of maturity. So looking at uh, growth and maturity. So maturity is, is, is kind of coming from the idea of people um, developing towards a, an adult state or, or so on. Um, at different rates or different stages. So, for argument's sake, your 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 relative age effect at the under fourteen example, you could have anything up to maybe eleven or twelve months difference between Johnny and 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 somebody else. Whereas when we look at maturity, which we kind of found very very interesting, we're looking at it from the point of view of somebody who could be up to five or six years of a difference, but uh, biologically or body wise. So, I suppose a lot of coaches and parents probably can relate to the idea of maybe seeing a an underage game. Um, at at in, in various different sports, whereby you see this massive variance in that, and just a little bit, I suppose, more on the kind of the differences between uh, relative age and maturity, because they kind of get a little bit confused and complicated at times, mm. and it's probably important to kind of differentiate them a little bit. Is that like a- age differences are there from a very young age, so from primary school, um, and they they can transfer along the way right up to business, um. At, at adult level and so on um, in, in politics, uh, in various different sporting contexts, maturity becomes a, a significant factor around the the, the time of, of puberty, okay, or the, the famous growth spurt. And that's something we'll probably chat a little about soon. And that differs in boys and girls. So in girls, you're talking about maybe 12 and a half years of age in, in boys around 14 years of age. So essentially what we're looking at in particular was, was the difference in maturity rates, um, at uh, in in a, in a boy capacity or in a male perspective, so that's that's essentially I don't know if I explained it well enough there, but that's the the, the starting point for where we came at. Yeah, like that that one, you know that, and everyone had heard that story about the father who the kid was getting born there in the last couple of days of December and hmm. bribing the midwife to try and change the date of birth to the first of January or something because. And and that's an old wives' tale, obviously, but it's 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 the fact that it's more advantageous if you're born in early January as opposed to born in in uh, in late December because you're it's almost like you're getting an extra year at that age grade, really. Yeah, statistically speaking, like there there's no getting away from that. If you're born earlier in the year, there, there is a higher chance per, uh, in in a lot of sports for sure. Um, so that's one one end. But as I said, that that's already there, and it's like you, you'll find relative age effects now. If you looked at it under seventeen or say under seven, under eights, under nines, whereas the, what we've learned from other sports and something we were interested in looking at in a Gaelic uh, perspective, because it hadn't really been looked at from there, is that maturity biases tend to kick in. Um, you'll see a lot of the English academies they 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 take age and maturity and um, they they assess them throughout. There's maybe not much of a maturity bias along the way, and then you're coming to maybe under twelve, under thirteen, and boys, and all of a sudden you see this huge. Um, bias towards early maturing players so in other words they go through this um growth spurt accelerated growth spurt um and there's massive changes that goes on so there's a, like for males there's a huge increase in testosterone um obviously that's going to lead to increase in muscle mass um hu- hugely around that time and you're going to have maybe differences in the likes of strength power speed it's it's normally quite obvious to see when you when you actually when you look back at it in hindsight so there's a lot of anecdotal experience here but we wanted to kind of delve into it a little bit more and, and understand so we'll probably talk a little bit more about some of the effects that we saw and maybe that's that's out there in, in other sports and see how it, it can kind of relate back to coaches and parents as well like yeah yeah and 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 that's probably the key thing is how how it does relay back to you know coaches and parents the video i i was looking through your presentation there and and we might i'll be able to stick it up and stick up a link to this um to the video as well but the video of the rugby player i'm not sure where he was from it was obviously some age grade under 12s or 14s or whatever and you'd probably know where it's from but uh, and the guy was obviously within the same age grade and he looked like he was probably about four or five years younger or older, excuse mm-hmm. me. He looked like John Alomu back in the yeah, day. Yeah, that's exactly Running through guys. Um, and that's that's the, the maturity or the physical maturity. When you're talking about maturity, are you talking about more the physical than, than anything else in the context that you're speaking? Yeah, I probably should explain it a little bit more. So like an analogy sometimes with coaches is maybe like thinking of a, a fruit or something like that. So you're looking at maybe something like bananas. So you'd have different levels of bananas in relation to ripeness, that type of idea or a tomato, like someone might have a, a green tomato versus a, a I suppose a, a very, an extreme red tomato, that type of an idea in relation to maturation is, is the physical aspect. First of all, that we're looking at, but like it comes in loads of different, um, in, in loads of different forms. So you have dental maturation, sexual maturation, uh, 
psychosocial maturation. There's loads of different aspects of it, but the physical one is the one which is extremely prominent um, around um, peak height velocity are also known as the, the growth spurt. So like you, you're, go, you're, you, you're going to see, if you go to maybe an under 14 or 15 game, you're, you're probably going to see your early maturing players uh, running the show, for want of a better word, in, in, the, in most uh, kind of field sports anyway. So they're going to be physically stronger. They can jump faster. They can run faster. They're running through players. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're normally, as I said, running or bossing the game to an extent. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a few examples of that as, as we go along as well. But um, so so that's kind of the, the, the you asked me earlier about, did it, was it informed by my underage career or whatever? It was because part of this is looking at it from a participation point of view and part of it is looking at it from a performance point of view. Mm-hmm. From a participation point of view, you're looking at, trying to keep everyone playing as long as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and maturity has a significant effect in both the male and the female population. Um, we're talking maybe 13 to 17 years of age. That's the key. They're the key ages where a lot of people are dropping out yeah. and there's different changes going on. And then the second part of it is performance wise. So how many, how many superstars that ran the show for want of a better word at 13, 14, 15 are mm-hmm. struggling when they get, when they get to maybe 16, 17 minor level, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, and possibly haven't transferred their so-called potential, which arguably now when you look back on it or look at it now may have been skewed from a supporter slash parent or coach's point of view by their physical prowess. Mm. So maybe they necessarily didn't have the, the technical or tactical skills or psychological skills but they were just highly heavily reliant on their physical skills. So there's two of them. You're, you're the early mature and the late mature. So you're, you're kind of looking at, are you doing the early mature a disservice if you let him run the show, um, for want of a better word, and and be the main guy and 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 I suppose run through the middle and uh, you know make it into a real physical type of game, um, and not work on the aspects of the game. And then the late maturing guy. Like he's going, in, he's probably going to need something special to say in the system or to really stick with it at times. So you, you kind of have to look at it. Do you want to get the best out of both of them? And, and we'll talk about maybe strategies around that yeah. later on. Like, and and so just to make it really, really simple and understandable for people, when you're talking about early maturers, you're talking about those those kids that are more physically developed than everybody else at the same age grade. They're the ones that that physically dominate games, whether it's basketball or football or soccer, doesn't matter. They're the, they're the ones that are dominating and that look like they're cut above everybody else simply because they're more powerful. Maybe their skills aren't as refined as other people, but but they their size is such an advantage that they're the ones that really stand out at that age grade. That's when we're talking about you know early early maturers or early developers. That's that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Uh, it is, I suppose. But I suppose I just have to kind of. Premise this with the fact that, like, not everyone that's advanced in their maturity is necessarily very physical. So, okay. for argument's sake, like at under fourteen, you probably realistically were an early mature, I'd imagine. I probably yeah. wasn't, but like, at the end of the day, like, we can kind of predict roughly where they're going to end up. Um, we can estimate where they're going to be at. We'll say final adult height, which is one of the big mature the maturity um indices we use. Mm-hmm. And with with that in mind, basically, um. Yeah, that's that's kind of where we're coming at from from that point of view. So it like it, it's not as simple always as just eyeballing and say, oh, the big guys are, are running the show. They're the the earlier matures and so on. Because we had a couple of opposite examples of that as well. So right. that's why I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the actual measuring, getting the, the the players' heights and weights, calculating where they're at based on their with their parents' information and so on. That's what gives us real uh, information that we can properly work off. Uh, whereas other times maybe you're you're eyeballing it and so on, but I suppose it is probably relatively fair to suggest that the early maturing guys are in general the more the more advanced. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to I was just trying to get my head around it in, in a in a in a simple context. Yeah, and and the research then that you're doing that's informing this on a kind of a quantitative level, like you're you're looking at. Um, and it's not again. This isn't about development squads. This is just about trying to get a group of 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 people that will give you the results and the and the numbers that you're looking at. But your your research is looking a little bit at, at development squads and and different things there. Yeah. So basically, like we wanted to see, right? Was there was there like so? Just to kind of set the context once again, like a, a lot of research has been done in the likes of soccer. So there's very little being done. And uh, when I say soccer, I'm on about Premier League soccer, um, in particular. There's a lot of work on in around growth and maturation over the last maybe 10 or 15 years in their academy setting. Um, and then there are other sports like rugby maybe has done some research and so on, where there's, there's been nothing kind of published on in Gaelic games 
and right. I suppose it being the the most um popular sport in Ireland and be so big in Ireland that you know at the end of the day a lot of this these rules are fairly easily applied in in, in different uh, contexts so we wanted to see was there a maturation bias in at academy level so we used the Kerry uh, development squads or, or academy squads and we used um the some of the Cork squads and basically we wanted to see was there a maturity bias there and I suppose to to look at it just to, to answer that mildly the, the answer is there was an extremely strong bias towards early maturing players out of I think around 250 players that we um we got players so players heights and weights and um along with their parents heights were able to predict where they're at in their stage of of uh, biological maturation so in other words we use their predicted adult height to see if Johnny is at 90% of his is predicted right. adult height or 95 and so on and we found essentially that at under 14 15 and 16 that maturity biases were very very significant there was only one late maturing player out of the 250 players so it was it was mainly either early maturing players or players that were that were on time right yeah that's fairly overwhelming yeah but i mean just to give a little bit of context on it like that's consistent with what you'll see in the premier league so we'll say one of my supervisors uh sean cumming so um I've, I've three supervisors, two in UL, Mark Campbell, who I've done a lot of my research previously on relative age, and Phil Kearney, uh, a Kerry man actually, who's um would be big in researching around the coaching side of things. Basically, Sean, coming from the UK, um, from University of Bath, he does a lot of work with the Premier League clubs. So we got like modeling some of the work that we're doing in Gaelic games and 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 what they've learned over the over the water. And essentially what they found is, is something very similar in likes of Southampton, um, Arsenal, Bournemouth, a lot of the clubs that he would have been involved with. So it's not it's nothing majorly different. And actually Liam Sweeney, um, who's doing a PhD in this very similar area to myself, um, has published recently on the in in an Irish context, um, in an FAI scenario. So he's used the the Irish uh, soccer teams and we say the underage teams as well. So quite similar there, really, from the yeah. from the maturity point of view. Yeah, and, and understandable, obviously, because these are the fellas that are going to be the best players when you're watching an under-14 game, an under-15 game. They're, these are the, most of the guys that are going to be dominating those games. So it's obviously easier to to get selected or to get picked on these different sides. But it, it, therein, I suppose, lies a difficulty for coaches as well, like in, in terms of like, you know, how how are you going to... And, and we'll get to it as, as we go, obviously, but it's about looking after how do we get those late developers to keep playing and then to, to try and make sure that their level is as, is as high as the early developers in a couple of years' time. It's just a real... It's a it's a quandary for those fellas to see how you can get the, the very best out of them over a long period of time as well, obviously. Yeah, it's a tricky one because ultimately, like, the, they're lagging... They can be lagging behind. Like, for example, just to give you a couple of case study examples we had like an example of one development squads where you had a player who was at 100% of his adult height and he was maybe not, he was 95 kilos so obviously he was he was a, a big boy and then we had someone who was 35 or 36 kilos and he was at uh, 87% of his adult height so in other words like you had one guy who was for want of a better word almost cooked in relation to height wise mm. he was he was you know he had a bi- he had a biological age so he he had a body age, for want of a better word, of um eighteen years of age. So he was mm. fourteen by date of birth, but he was actually eighteen from a right. from a, a body perspective. And then this other guy was maybe twelve and a half. So like there was almost six years of a difference between two these two guys, and they were on the same they're in the same squad. Mm. So like there's a, like going back to your scenario there, it is a bit of a it's a kind of a tricky one for for coaches to to to, to challenge or to manage that because in all fairness to the coaches, and we spoke about these players with that. They they really saw the potential in the the less the, the late maturing player. They obviously had to mind him. They were hurt like very much uh, trying to keep him in the system, mm. but it was probably easier almost to keep the more advanced maturing guy in the system because he he was able to maybe perform better in games and so on. Mm. So like it, it the, the scenario between development and current per- performance and potential is is a tricky one at times, and that's kind of one or two of the other studies we're looking at. Our yeah. our co- our coaches basically um what are, what are they are they rating the early maturing guys as the as the better players which they they have in other sports versus maybe the later maturing guys you know mm-hmm. yeah and it's difficult obviously that's it's very hard to predict what what a fella is going to turn into Fiona you mentioned just growth sport there earlier as as probably layman's terms for it but 
um, like we've all heard of growth spurt and you know and and roughly when it occurs in 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 boys versus girls, what what does it mean kind of physically if you're somebody that's playing basketball or rugby or soccer or Gaelic football, like what what are the things that are happening at that stage that would affect their ability to perform and and to play that that you know maybe coaches should be aware of just to just to maybe give people a little break and see what's going on. Yeah, so sometimes it can be maybe obvious for some coaches or parents they might kind of almost suss it out or figure it out a little bit. But essentially, in a, I'll, I'll compare male and females in a second now. Um, and the female population is probably being under-researched. It's an area that we're actually quite interested in. And there's a couple of students um, uh, in uh, in MTU that are them supervising this year who are going to look at it in a female perspective, which I'm really interested to see how that works out. But male-wise, anyway, you're looking at an, a massive increase in testosterone. Okay, so you're going to have like massive kind of growth, basically, um, all of a sudden. So limbs and extremities like are going to grow at different rates, which potentially can lead to like clumsiness, loss, loss of coordination, um, like that whole kind of Bambi legs type of idea can be quite mm-hmm. common. So normally what happens is they stretch first and then they fill out. So you often hear that about what, what actually, oh, this guy is after filling out a load in the last six months. So normally the peak height velocity, which is the, the big growth spurt comes first. And after that, quite soon within a few months um, is, is peak weight velocity. So you'll, you'll see them filling out a lot. Um, then internally, you things like obviously all their organs, their hearts, their lungs, they're all increasing in size. But like a lot of these occur at different rates in different times. So there's a lot of changes going on in the body. And you're, 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 I suppose the risk of injury is uh, increased an awful lot. There can be a huge increase in strength and endurance, but it, it doesn't necessarily always translate to uh, good performance straight away. So mm. that might, if I'm saying to you that everyone's increasing testosterone, your first kind of thing, thing might be sure that's brilliant. Mm. It, it it does when it levels out it's normally quite good but what what some of the research suggests so some of uh, Sean's uh, previous uh, PhD students and uh, Megan Hill uh, looked at coach perceptions and found basically in Southampton that from from assessing their maturation over a few years that players players going through their growth spurt coaches actually rated them um, significantly less on their match grades during those periods of time right. and without necessarily knowing. So in other words, they probably weren't performing as well. Yeah. And that that wasn't necessarily, the coach didn't necessarily know what was going on maybe. But mm. so that's that's one aspect, which is really, really important, I think, yeah. to note, especially when we're talking about your under 14, 15 level kind of a thing. Um, another one is the injury risk. David Chanson, um, who's at Bournemouth and now West Ham, he's done some lovely research on tracking over a number of years a lot of the academy players. And basically what he found was players going through their growth spurt had a massive in, uh, there was a massive spike in injuries, so growth growth related injuries, um, things like maybe your Asger Schlaters, your your Severs injuries, a lot of these type of injuries that are are related or connected with, with growth are are huge around then. And this and the second thing actually interestingly was which we might talk about towards the end and and solutions to some of this is they actually ran an intervention then where they pulled some of these players and they reduced their training load a little bit while going through the growth spurt which didn't really have a huge difference on how they performed or anything, but ultimately their uh, risk of injury or the injury rates decreased significantly. So in other words, like training everyone at the same level, while some are gone through the growth spurt, is probably a little bit unfair on those who are in the middle of it, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side of it is the female uh, female population. So like what you see a lot, uh, particularly at schools level and, you know, in sports all over, all over the country would be that males and females play together a lot, up to maybe about maybe 11, 12 years of age. Yeah. And one of the reasons why that, why that, why it tends to drift away a little bit at times is because when they go through puberty, very different changes occur. So females, estrogen obviously would be, would be, would be the big um, hormone there that would, would um, accelerate. And essentially their, their kind of hips widen, they potentially increase their, their body fat and so on. So the changes that occur in a female are, are a bit different than a male. And that has an effect on things like strength, speed, power. So funnily enough, in some sports, you may actually see an increase in late maturing players um, fr- from the from from puberty, basically, as opposed to uh, early maturing, because the, some of the effects of growth spurt maybe cause them to to decrease in some of the the stuff I was on okay. about there. Okay, yeah, and like I just I so basically I I, I just made a note there, man, of of like growth your growth spurt really, you know. Will probably lead to a, a decrease in performance. Is that is that a, is that too wide a statement? Mm-hmm. Just based on what you were quoting there. 
Um, no, I don't think it's totally due, but I, I would say it's it's different for everyone. Okay. Okay. I suppose the, the most important thing would be to that like a, a very simple message for coaches would be if you're seeing a, a, a rapid enough decrease in performance, right? It, it should be a consideration. And gotcha. fact factor that in with the likes of like let's just say a male, for example. If you see a guy all of a sudden like shooting up and then all of a sudden I don't know, hair all over facial hair and you yeah, know, yeah, fi- yeah. filling out a lot of the, the the signs that we probably associate with puberty, like you're you're probably very likely looking at that. Like yeah. physios that if if they're going to physios with niggles and stuff at times, those kind of a lot of those uh we'll say signs can can lead to maybe understanding a little bit more about it. But it's actually very easily understood if you're actually measuring it, which which is is what I would have spoken about earlier. Like And again, just to repeat it, so you're talking about girls kind of from around twelve and a half? Yeah, around twelve-ish maybe, and female and males then close to fourteen. Okay. Um, so they basically have females go through it, go through um, go through menarche earlier and stuff like that. Whereas male and 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 obviously we know that like sexual maturation wise, that it's very different that okay, that goes on in the male and female body. So that all has an effect in relation yeah. to performance. Like, yeah, it's just interesting. Like that, those ages obviously are are the ages that a lot of you know, like you're getting a lot of people dropping out of sport, obviously, at those at those different ages as well. So it's it's just something to, it's something that coaches, obviously, they've got so much to do, man, preparing sessions and making sure they get kids in the field. Um, and it's just something to be aware of that is obviously, obviously has a dramatic effect on on people of, of 14, 15, 16 or younger for, for girls. It's just, it's a huge time in their lives, obviously, physically, that that maybe we're not as conscious of as we probably should be. Yeah, exactly. And I think in the female population, particularly like there's obviously a huge link with like body image and, and the changes yeah. that go on there from puberty. So I think that that that's also an important consideration. But I think that conversation is is like is, is in a better place now. And I think there's a lot like there's, there's a huge momentum behind them. Um, that's going on. But just, I suppose, to, to explain to coaches that obviously, first of all, boys and girls aren't mini adults, which a lot of the time people might think. And the second part of it is that boys and girls and anyone who has sons and daughters will probably be able to understand that better than anyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you spoke about uh, measuring it or, or monitoring it and, and and obviously not every club or um, underage coach is going to have the ability to actually measure this and actually track it and see where, where kids are along that that kind of predicted growth Um where what's what kind of mechanisms are you using or, or what are you looking at with the squads and different things to, to track that okay so like basically the gold standard for this is is uh, what we call um like you're looking at skeletal age which we'll say some of the premier league clubs might have it or the ones that really advance where you take a, a, a wrist x-ray and based off uh, the um reading the bone scenario there the bone growth you can estimate ex- exactly where they're at so my quirk is 14 years of age but Biologically, he's coming in at 15 and a half. So he's, you know, that kind of a scenario. Yeah. yeah. But we use a, a non-invasive one, which is basically we we take the player's height and weight. Um, and then we basically get their parents, both their parents' heights and their estimated parents' heights. Uh, sorry, they're self-reported. So they would fill out, like, say, an online form. And we can we can kind of manipulate that a little bit to to allow for parents who might overestimate or underestimate their own height based on him. Okay. And Johnny or whoever, so that so that's one set. So that's how we use it, and I'm happy to share any of that kind of um those uh formulas we use and so on. It's it's, it's relatively straightforward and and kind of um organized from that point of view. But like even away from using that, I think the parents' perspective brings the genetic component into it. So one part I haven't probably alluded to too much is that, like, they say about eighty percent of maturation is connected with with genetics. Okay. So essentially, both relative age-wise, as you said, when parents are given out to the midwife about when when the child is born, so the relative age one and the biological maturation scenario, they're both very much connected to parents. So you, you like, I often make the joke to kids, you can blame your parents for nearly everything. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's kind of a that's kind of another factor um in relation to that as well. Yeah. But even tracking height and weight, like you don't need to be a rocket scientist or you don't need to be any crazy scientist from that perspective. Um, tracking height, height and weight over a period of time like that's just growth rate like very simply you, and if you're seeing rapid enough increases so normally we're looking at it maybe every three months or six months anything at all to track it at all is is, is quite useful mm. Um, but but I, I don't know if that answers your question like I can go I can talk about maturation or sorry about measuring as long as you want there but um, like it, it you can eyeball it 
but it's you'd want to be a lot more experienced and understanding maturity and it, like I'm only scratching the surface on it today yeah. now like but um the, the the most accurate way without a doubt is is measuring and that allows you to inform it because I'll give you examples like in the development squads and we, we let's say we assess 250 players and we looked at them over the last maybe two years you're, you're going to see players who are actually we'll say at 99% of their predicted adult height so they're almost they're almost at their adult height at maybe 14 or 15 but they may not necessarily be the tallest players in the team at all and you might have guys who are really tall at the at the latter stage or down on the late the on time or later maturing stage and they actually may have a huge uh, potential for growth yet yeah so like it, it, it it's it's a bit sometimes it's a bit um naive to say just big and small people yeah, might yeah. talk about it in that language like but you can blame mom and dad again for that like be very much part of a lot of it absolutely yeah, 100%. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 yeah, I, I like that presentation. I was watching. Uh, Des Ryan was speaking about um, was it Ballincollig or, or a club in Cork that were that were looking at at um, at doing this themselves as well and kind of keeping track of it. Yeah, exactly. Very similarly, Ian Jones. Um, he he was uh, out in America for a couple of years and he's come back and he's doing great work down there. And basically, very similar to our own. They they looked at it from a club level, I suppose. Like Bishamstown, from my understanding, would be a big enough club. Um, but they would have found similar enough, um, uh, probably not as strong in effect. But I mean, that at a club level, it still was still quite significant. So, in other words, there was maturity biases um, was were, were present there at at um, in a club context, which is really really interesting. And I think that's an area that would would warrant like I, I've looked at kind of potentially maybe doing a bit of research at club level at different le- at different gra- grades almost. So you might have a division one under fourteen team and a division five under 14 team and seeing what the differences occur there that that'd be i think that's a would be a quite cool area to look at mm. but once again like without even going down the research route very easy for clubs to do a lot of this as well if they're if they're interested um so that that is um yeah that it's the club level is the interesting one because we know that like we'll say as you spoke about development squads earlier they're still only involved for a select or a short period of time in the season so it's the, it's the schools and the clubs i think the schools have a key role as well mm. the clubs and schools to me are the really really important one and actually did a coach's uh, a coach education kind of um workshop there a couple of weeks ago with club coaches and the feedback was super really really interested they were really engaged and they had some really good questions so like one of one of the things that came out of the development squad um uh, interviews and focus groups of coaches afterwards around the results they were extremely um like open to a lot of this they wanted more knowledge and or they wanted more information on this they they literally were really into this but what they but the one of the things that they said was potentially that the selection biases are already pre um fed or are are connected with with club coaches in some way because mm. often club coaches send their three or four best players to the trials mm-hmm. and then you have your three or four best players and you've I don't know hundred players maybe in trials or whatever it is over a period of time but, but what we love to look at is actually the players that are coming to the trials I suspect that maybe the the pool of players coming to the trials is is already potentially um bias towards early maturing players mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is which is started by the club players because you know inevitably your your club coach sends his three or four best players who possibly are the guys who are the early maturing guys and and yeah. running the show for want of a better word like you know so yeah you, basically what it looks like mike in in this from what we've seen in this is that and similar to soccer and other sports that you need to be extremely um you, you need to be really good and and really determined and you need to have something special if you're a late maturing player okay yeah. Or you need to have coaches who are really open to uh, keeping the net wide and so on. And in fairness, the coaches, when we kind of showed some of this information back to them, um, we'll say the second year there were there was there was a lot of kind of you know a lot of interest in it from their end, and they were definitely thinking about it a little bit differently, which which was interesting. Like, and they were yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, like like you're not breaking any any um, any serious news there, saying if 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 you're an early mature you are advantaged in 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 terms of being selected for these squads and and different things but like what what would be very interesting is to see how many of those guys you know are still there 10 or 15 years later playing at senior intercounty level or playing international sport or whatever their chosen field is um and like did the challenges that they were facing meet you know what they needed at that time it's it's obviously there is no answer yet obviously but it, it would be fascinating to look at that on a, on a really long-term kind of a thing because um like for coaches listen to this now and like 
Yeah, if you're so if you're 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 a guy who's a late mature, you're you're not as you're not as strong as the rest of them. How do we keep them playing and how, how do we keep them engaged? Like that that research that I, I mentioned there from Des or Ryan or who, whoever carried it out in Bishopstown, there was two of Ian the Jones, yeah. uh sorry, there was two of the age groups, two of the older age groups had zero if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, had zero late maturers in their like 15s and 17s age brackets or something like that. So zero boys who were late maturers were still playing football for that club, or maybe it was hurling and football by the time they were 15 and 17. Like that's that would be a problem, obviously, for for you know for us looking at as coaches. Hundred percent, yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a question I don't have the answer to straight out. We need to we need to look at that a little bit more, but it it looks like. Because to me, it looks like potentially that when puberty kicks in, particularly that, and especially with, with teams where there's there's more of a pick, you know what I mean, where there's where there's a bigger selection pick, that coaches potentially are biasing those players who are early maturing or on time, you know, not the late maturing guys anyway, and as a result, they're being squeezed out, or maybe they go off into other sports, which is which would be great if that was the case, but like I, I think maybe the dropout research suggests maybe not, they're they're poten- potentially slipping away and going off elsewhere. Um, so yeah, so I I can't answer that fully, but I suppose you'd be kind of anecdotally suggesting that that might be the case. Just on that, actually, Rob Rob Mulcahy, um, who's from Chile, he's actually he working he's working with Claire, but he's doing a PhD mm. on that transition rate, which is going to be quite interesting. So in the next few years, I think he'll have some good stuff out on that. But the idea of 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 tracking uh, youth, we'll say success to senior level, so from a development squad point of view. Mm. Um, and basically, there, I don't think there's anything being done really in a GA or Irish context too much, as far as I know anyway, in, in GA context. Um, but in other sports, it tends to be quite poor. So in other words, the, 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 the potential superstars basically at youth level, their conversion to senior level is the... the um, I don't think the, the statistics are too high on, on what yeah. happens there. So that's yeah. like that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, that would be fascinating because we've all, like, we all anecdotally, like, we've all seen the guys that are dominant at, at under 12s, under 14s, and and suddenly they start to dwindle away a little bit. And and it is those guys maybe who are late developers who nobody thought much of at under 12s or 14s suddenly are the guys that are, you know, carrying the show at at, at senior or, or or beyond. You know, which uh, would be interesting. Not that we go into this debate about minor anything, but like the more I look at this as time goes along, it actually adds another layer of intrigue or importance I think to the idea of maybe exploring the under 18 bracket idea again because ultimately if you're cutting it off at under 17 you're you're nearly making it easier again for players to drop out mm-hmm. particularly because maturity it's it's normally starting to kind of ease off a little bit around then but it's easing off even more again at 18s whereas mm-hmm. if it's been cut if the cloth has been cut at 17s almost not cut but uh, that there's another gap between that and 19 so I, I think the maturity factor is actually something that should come into the debate around this as well you know yeah yeah like and, and even again like the the, the minor carry minor management of the previous uh uh james Costello and the lads that were involved they obviously would have had two teams undergo due to covid from a bunch of 17s and then and and then the guys that were left over for a, a, a following year there were 18s and the difference physically that you know between the 17s and the 18s was just incomparable that you know they'd say in that in that one year alone you know yeah um, so it is huge it, that is obviously huge and then like so we're aware obviously that this is a problem and and you're you're now gathering you know gathering the evidence to suggest that this is this is an issue for us what what are what are some of the solutions like if, i i mentioned biobanding and stuff at the start most people I didn't really have a, much of an idea of what it was can you give us a bit of a, an idea of what that concept is about really Fionn? Okay, so basically, biobending is something that has been done, particularly in soccer. It's been done in a number of other sports, but it's grouping players on their stage or their, their you know, on biological maturity as opposed to their um their actual chronological age. So, in very simple terms, um, you're let's say you're we're both under fourteen. We play normally as, as we do under fourteen in our age group, but in a biobanded fashion, you might be mixed with a guy who's uh, under sixteen. Um, because you're physically more advanced, or so you're, you're you're working at his level, and he might be a little bit less advanced. So, what what we looked at in carry capacity. So there's a number of different studies, and like <laughs> it's going to take a few years to get a lot. I'm sitting on a lot of data, so to get a lot of this information out. But the the boy bending was a really interesting project we ran this year for maybe about a month in Kerry, and with 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 two of the squads, the under 14s, we 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 broke up 
players into two different bands. So basically, we worked from 95% of um, adult height, sorry, from 88 to 93% of adult height and from 94% upwards. So that might sound a little bit mathsy and sciencey. It's very, very simple and straightforward. We had all this information from collecting their heights and weights and the parents' information, and we were able to put them into kind of, we call it the first group, the 94 plus or a more advanced group. Um, they're, they're the more mature group. They're closer to their final adult height. Mm-hmm. So they're more cooked for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other ones are have have a little have a, a good bit more potential for growth. So we we broke them into those and we did their art for a couple of weeks we did, did a little bit of um small sided games and training and we did we trained in those little groups um and we kind of wanted to see how that would work out. So that was one part. And then what we finished with we did um we played some 15 SI games. So they normally would play each other um in games we'll say Kerry Norton carries out whereas we did it this in this way we did it actually in a in a 15 aside, um, we call it less mature game and a more okay. more advanced maturity game. And like the the, I suppose we realistically, I, I I knew what came out of it in soccer, but we we didn't really know what was going to come out of it here. There it was mm-hmm. a, it wasn't a shot in the dark, but it was it was almost to see how this would unfold. But it was extremely interesting what what happened because um, we we got players and coaches feedback. Um, there was also two students. Um, John Blake from Kerry was looking at it from a from a technical perspective and tactical. So videoing the games and seeing what differences from that and, and normal games, was there any differences in, right. in that? And then um, another um, student, uh, Hugh from Clare, uh, from Cork, was actually looking at it, Hugh O'Neill, on, in, a, in a psychosocial perspective. So they would have done some psychosocial questionnaires before and after. But the interesting part, I suppose, was what we got from players and coaches uh, around that. So I, I don't know, do you want to kind of go into the findings or what we found yeah, yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, so basically, player, like players loved it. Um, by and large, I mean, we, we, we looked, we had our late maturing and our, we call them our early maturing players. I mean, calling them late maturing, but there was, there's no late maturing players in the system. They're the less mature, we call them. Right. So the, the, first of all, the late maturing guys said, this is brilliant. So essentially like normally I'm playing corner forward and I don't get any ball in the game. And if I do, I, I can't, all the big guys are running the show and uh, basically I, I can't, I can't really do what I was able to do today. So mm. I was able to take on men. The, the the link play between our games is brilliant. So like there was a number of themes that kind of came out and this is just very anecdotal at the moment because I, I need to completely go through um go through it from an analysis point of view. But like skill wise, there was a noticeable difference in skill in the late maturing game. So that, so I suppose th- there was an awful lot more passing, interlink play, communication with those players. Um, the, the physical aspect was taken out of the game. So in other words, it was at a way more appropriate and mature level. So everyone was like, I'm playing against, I'm marking a guy who's kind of at my own level or my own grade. Um, so so that, so there were some of the kind of ideas from their perspective and they, and they just found it a really positive experience. They're like, it actually arms me more now when I go back training with the, with the full group next week, I feel more confident and I definitely kind of, it, it's made me think that way. The early maturing players and the opposite end, who are normally the big guys that were, were mm-hmm. controlling the game, they found it really, uh, really, really difficult some of the kind of quotes were like, I, I haven't played in as hard a game in, in, in I don't know how long. I, I couldn't run through the middle anymore. We there, Every time I got the ball, there was someone on me. Um, mm-hmm. Like I couldn't kick the ball. Like So this kind of side of the thing. So the physical aspect was one. Then they were finding it like tactically that they were struggling a little bit more at times. And this is not ever in anyone, but it's just a, kind of a, as a general the feedback yeah. from maybe talking to maybe eight to 10 of these players from either group. Um and and they were agreeing with each other. Like for thirteen year olds, they're extremely articulate. It was probably my favorite part of the PhD so far. Where I'll talk about the coaches in a second, but getting their viewpoint, and they knew very little about this. They just for for all the world, they they thought they were playing normal games. Like, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah. So that was the kind of stuff that came out of it. And I, and then I thought they might be a little bit negative about it because obviously this is something different, and they're not able to be the star of the show. And mm-hmm. they said, no, this makes me kind of think about my game now when I go back, um, next week and. And have to change it a little bit. But interestingly enough, before that, they had both played normal games. So the normal traditional under 14 games, you'll say a few weeks previous to that. And I got both teams and rather than their names, I took out their names and I put their percentage of adult height in. What we found was basically, which isn't surprising, all of the the, the most physically or the most mature players were all down the middle. So your fullback, your centre-back, your midfielders, they were all the the most mature guys. Whereas that's the thing about bybanding, it, it took a lot of this out. So they were all mm-hmm. in different positions that they weren't able to kind of maybe 
be as central or, da- or dominating from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing was coaches, which is probably the aim of my PhD at the start was all around coaches because when I spoke a lot about this maturity idea today and ultimately players have very little control over what goes on in relation to selection of teams, making a team and all. Yeah, of course you can say they need to play well and to make it, but coaches are the are the deciding factors and all this. So I wanted to see, could we support them in any way? They really enjoyed it. So like right. coaches who had maybe found guys originally who they maybe thought may not be up to the standard mm. um, or were struggling a lot, they really excelled. They saw them from a different light in the kind of late maturing group, we'll say. Um, and then from a, from a bio-ending group, uh, the more advanced guys, they found the, obviously the players found it the going a lot tougher and coaches saw it from a different angle too. So mm. they actually, some of them like in the second half of those games were given specific instructions. Okay. Not trying to solo the ball, for example, right. you know, so, so just not, nothing, nothing very, very simple, uh, straightforward stuff. So essentially like in case anyone's confused here, it was just normal football games. They were mm. just put in a more appropriate, mature, appropriate environment. And it just allowed the players to experience something different and a different challenge, a more appropriate challenge. And it allowed the coaches to maybe, you know, reorientate their viewpoint a little bit on players and to see them from a, li- a different light. And then they went back in training like normal the following weeks. But after that, when I went away for a few weeks, coaches still use the bending quite a bit at times and right. in, in drills, for example. And they use it in their own kind of creative ways. But um, yeah, so there's definitely potential there for sure. Like this is a very early days just to try it out. But like, it, it was it, it it sounded like a lot of work before we started it, but it, it wasn't when we got into it. And I think um, both benefited both players and coaches. So it was a, a positive experience anyway. Yeah. Now it does it does sound like for for I'm I'm thinking of club people now who are who are looking at this, and obviously you're speaking about a GA context, but this is those those fourteen year olds are are playing basketball and they're playing soccer and they're playing everything just the same as as uh, as they are in the GA, but. Um, I, I'm just thinking of of like how that how that would how that would work to the benefit of those players. Like if I'm if I'm the guy who who is the early mature, I'm more physically developed and um and I'm playing in a game at centre back or midfield and I'm dominating that game, and now suddenly I'm maybe playing against a guy now I'm 14 and now suddenly I'm playing against a guy maybe who's 16 who's not as physically developed, but is a match for me. No, that's a completely different challenge for for my game, and I and I have to try and improve. That's going to improve me as a player because I'm playing against somebody who's a physical match, and and I've got to develop my game a little bit more. And the same on the other side for the fellas who struggle maybe physically with the guys that they're marking against. Now they have a chance to to play ball and 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 to play guys that are at are at their level as well. It's it's it it makes sense, obviously, yeah, hundred percent. And like I suppose some of the kind of considerations previously are like is this all just based on physical people have asked like can you can you um bend on on, on like psychological maturation all that side of it but i mean they're actually getting an, an alternative psychological challenge by doing this mm-hmm. so like let's say they're not being psychologically challenged for example in for the early maturing guys in their normal age groups they're probably getting a serious psychological testing mm-hmm. and some people might say it might be too harsh at times but you're giving a little bit of both whereas they're the late maturing guy who's probably Day in, day out, week in, week out, getting this this challenge. We want to, if we want to call it that. Mm. He's now finding it going, you know, a little bit easier, and it's good for his confidence that he's able to kind of, uh, we'll say, you know, expand out a little bit his game and 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 do things that he normally can't do. Like so, that yeah. so it's 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 interesting from both ends. And just as well as a point to make, and it's it's not about like changing the game into this all all boy band or anything. This is something that's used as a kind of an alternative tool every so often. So like for me, it was like maybe once a month, I think going forward would be a really useful tool for, mm. for players and coaches. And that's the way they use it in England as well. In the Premier League scenario, they might do like one week every month where they drip feed some boy bending work and they do it in they do it in the gym as well. And they do it at, at different levels. So that's another area that uh, something that I'm kind of interested in myself on a side note to, to look at maybe the physical development from more a maturity perspective, as opposed to generic, like everyone does the same thing, mm. which is, which is ridiculous if you come if you if you give the scenario I had earlier of like one guy who's biological age of eighteen and one guy who's twelve and a half and they're in the same team. Yeah. You're, you're you're comparing a grown man with a you know with a, a child basically. Yeah. So yeah. um so that's and, an important and thinking just thinking about it there, Fion, like you know, we all probably would have done at different stages if you were playing, you know, if you were on the age at under 14, you probably would have played with the under you know, 16 Bs or the, you know, under 16 yeah, yeah. team, if you had it yourself. Like, 
I mean, there's always there has been kind of conflicting reports that that's something that clubs should do or clubs shouldn't do. Um, but like really, like listening listening to the stuff here, there isn't really a whole pile of. No, I know there's different circumstances in terms of maybe if people aren't ready for that. But if people are ready for that physically, there probably isn't a whole pile wrong with 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 doing that. No, no. Like I mean, like just give an example. Let's say, and I, I can just think, and you can as well, and everyone I'd say even listening can probably relate to this. You can think of players like at fourteen, fifteen. Those kind of we call it the the growth spurt ages. You know, mm. those those typical ones. Like guys who are way more advanced, who who are running the show at those age groups at, at a particular age. Like what challenge are they getting? Do you know mm. what I mean? Like what benefit it is for them being like midfield and you know plowing through the middle and running the show there. So I think it's good for them. I suppose the only thing I would add to this, which is another kind of another uh, opening can of worms, is that if it's done in the right way, like so that they're not training loads of extra. The problem, I suppose, in the in the past with these superstar guys is that they've been done that they've been doing this, playing at all the other age groups, but they've been doing everything, so they've been mm. flogged, and that's where the they come to eighteen and their bodies are absolutely goosed, or they get to twenty or whatever, and that would be the one kind of proviso. So I'd be all for the idea of playing up or playing down, and I think it's a really simple strategy to employ by mm. by by clubs or by coaches at club level um but it, it has to be done that you're not adding a significant more oh, training sorry. load to it like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, but done smartly very well like yeah done once it's done smartly i think it's an absolute no-brainer to be honest yeah yeah, yeah. and like it's it's almost like um it's it's i suppose it's it's bio banding without 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 knowing exactly what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's been going on for years and years and years. Once, once, like you said, the kid isn't getting flogged, it's probably a very positive thing for their development to go up and get a taste of, of dealing with go- those kids in that other age group physically and, and uh, obviously the pace of the game and different things as well. I think so. And like, as you, as you said, even other aspects like tactical awareness, the kind of leadership mm-hmm. skills, the communication, the, the kind of psychological skills that like, so they might have the body of an 18 year old, but they might have the mind of a, you know, so it's, it's, it's looking at it from different levels. Um, and, and it might be that sometimes you might feel that a guy actually isn't physically huge, but actually it might be good from a psychological challenge perspective as well. Mm-hmm. So, so like, I, I think, I think you can be fluid enough on how you do this, but I mm-hmm. suppose what we're talking about in general here is, is maturity and different rates and looking at kind of optimal challenges at different stages. So yeah. we're not saying get rid of age groups or anything like that. Because that would just—that's not the scenario. But it's to kind of like doing the same thing over and over again for the same age groups is probably—it's probably not really that beneficial for you or for the player, really. Like you know. Yeah, um, and it's look. I I think this whole area is 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 fascinating, and I, I like we we we've all been kind of aware of these kind of scenarios. But it's just—it's nice to have—it's nice to have some kind of um, you know quantitative data that somebody is looking at to to really back it up and some research. But for coaches, then feel like I'm conscious now that people are listening here and they're saying, "Okay, well, how does this impact me?" Or, or if I'm somebody that's coaching in this age group, like how how do how, how can I how can I help my players or how can I help my club to make sure that these guys who are maybe not as developed as everybody else as quickly, how can I keep them playing? How can I challenge the guys who are the early developers? What can I do from this conversation? What can I do that'll help them moving forward? Yeah, like. That's kind of a how long is a piece of string question, but I suppose basically, right? <laughs> the, the gist of it, the gist of it, I would say is that, like, if you're not acknowledging this kind of whole concept of growth and maturation while it's working with this cohort of players or that those kind of age groups, you're potentially doing a big disservice to those players. So, like, you're you're like it is a it is a significant factor. Not with every player, it can be different, and and like that's why everyone is different. But I suppose if you're you know going along the idea of a player centered approach. Okay, very much individual centered, and that's the kind of idea of modern good coaching and so on. This has to be factored in. So mm-hmm. thinking long term, Mike is probably one of the big ones, really. Like if you can measure, obviously that's fantastic. But without that, having a little bit of an understanding of the area, maybe upskilling a little bit more, hopefully, like get a lot more of this information out over the next few years. But um I think you need to think long term. Okay, you need like rather than short term. And that that's the problem, I think, with a lot of the even professional sports across the water, like effectively scouts are still picking the most early mature are picking early maturing players and they're still having the same problems with all the money and resources and so on they have so it's like look it's the i suppose we have a kind of a a bias naturally enough towards uh someone who's performing on any given day and that's the big one i suppose like i actually use a slide at times where the picture of the iceberg and the 
and the the underneath the iceberg and the top of the iceberg and kind of what you see at the outside is probably only a small part and that's the performance part underneath is what's going on over the next couple of years or what's going on in the body from a biological age perspective so like that's the one I use with coaches a lot like knowing about where where the player is at in their stage of maturity can definitely help you that help you that way um I probably have gone slightly off on tangent there but like how how can this help coaches I would say acknowledging kind of the effect of growth, growth and maturation for sure. Yeah. And realizing that maturity will wear off. It's for a couple of years. It's like, it, it varies, but like it's, it's going to be maybe roughly from maybe 13 to 16 are going to be the big ages for that. But that is where we lose a lot of players as well. Mm-hmm. So like trying to keep them involved. Like there's, there's two scenarios here that we've kind of talked a little bit about. We've talked about club players and participation and all, which is mm. ultimately the aim of the game for, for keeping as many involved as possible. But the other aspect then is performance. So in other words, talented players who you're looking at maybe playing with their county or playing whatever other sport it is at a, high, a very high level. Well, like you need to be able to challenge those players accordingly along the way as well. So you've, you've two different kind of um, types of people to try and keep, uh, keep happy there. Like, but um, I don't know, is that answering it kind of well enough or do you want to? Yeah, that? no, no. I like, I, I'm just, I'm conscious of the guys like, you know, Donahue, like I, I don't think Kieran would have would have would have played football at a very high level at your your twelve or fourteens. Now he was still probably a bigger kid, but um, I, I I'm just trying to think of these kind of fellas. I I'm very conscious that, like you said it there, we don't know at thirteen or fourteen or fifteen who are the guys that are going to play with with your club at senior level, and certainly don't know the guys that are going to play at inter county or are going to play international basketball or international rugby. We just we just don't know. You you can you can have a fair idea, and you can be looking at the guy, kids that are dominant in that age group. But realistically, from what you're telling us, we really we really don't know until until everybody's maturation rate evens out and and we get an even picture of looking at everybody. Then, then that's when the you know so sixteen years of age, seventeen years. That's when we'll actually have a better idea, really, as opposed to looking at Johnny at thirteen or fourteen, saying this guy is going to bring us all the way to wherever. Yeah, like as you said there, like it's it's still very hard to predict. And we I try to do this with some of the coaches about like who at sixteen who might make it to senior level. And it's still so hard to predict, as you said. Mm-hmm. But like as they go a little bit, as they get goes a little bit more down the pathway you'd have a better chance of predicting but at 13 14 like i I, my big advice would be just be really careful as regards selecting keep it wide keep everyone like consider or or, or realize that this is probably going to be a big factor for some of them okay and it's going to have an effect on their performance um like even how you deal with players in those scenarios do you give the early maturing guys a different uh challenge do you get them to even if they're still playing in their normal age groups do you get them to I don't know, use less plays, put them in a different position, uh, challenge them like a little bit differently from that point of view. Um, and, you know, coax and keep those late maturing guys in, involved as as best you can. I think I'm going to, even another few years, I have this conversation with you. I think I'd probably be able to even answer that a little bit better now. But um, like there's no silver silver bullet answer to, to be straight out yeah. about it. Like, you know, you yeah. have to use your own. Like the biggest message, I suppose, is to be very much based, to have very much a kind of a long-term um uh, development type of a uh, philosophy. If you have that, I think then that you're you're going to allow for a variation in maturity levels. Whereas if you're about you know the next game and today and tomorrow, then you, like that's that's where where a lot of the problems occur at these age groups. Like you know. Yeah, 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 and and like you you just said there, like roughly between thirteen and sixteen. Like if we're involved in coaching kids at that between those age groups. We just don't we, we we don't know obviously if we're if we're tracking their height and different things and we we have an idea but we just don't know where they are in terms of 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 that kind of growth spurt there so it's just it's probably just so important obviously to have an awareness of it and and if if we can just keep those kids playing as long as we possibly can because we have no idea that that uncoordinated kid who who is you know struggling to solo or struggling to shoot the ball or struggling to make a pass or a catch whatever it might be. If we can just keep them engaged and keep them going and improving, you just don't know when that thing levels out at fifteen and sixteen years of age how how good that person can be if this if they stay at the game. And that's probably it's definitely you know it is an area that we're losing a lot of players. There's no there's no question about that, and it's it's something obviously that, that coaches need to be more aware of than than we are, I suppose. Hundred percent. Like, and if you are actually if you were monitoring for argument's sake, and you you were taking even something like height and weight, like you you can look at modifying training like if you see that as you said if someone is going like coordination wise is struggling enough like 
it's it's not that hard to modify their training you know like mm. take parts of the the harder part of training out of it work more on the skill the technical aspects that like without going into the all the solutions and some of the ways that we we'd work with people um at varying levels here that's some of it identifying injuries like if your players are picking up um you know niggle injuries so on that are kind of connected with the likes of ankles knees and so on that, like they're very likely related to growth related um you know parts of growth of growth and so on um some of this information can be very useful in relation to decision making for coaches too like even involved in picking teams and so on mm. okay I, I i would say like you know trying to trying to understand a little bit maybe where these players might be at in their stage of development and that that can help a little bit as well like for sure mm. yeah and like it's not it's not that you know clubs are going to go out tomorrow and they're not going to pick their big strong you know guys that are playing the best at the age group of course they are and that's and that's that's understandable and everybody's going to do that but it's just to probably, like you've mentioned it a couple of times, have 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 a better awareness of of those other kids who who may be those late developers or, or late maturers. I, I think that's just a. I, I think it's a really important point. I I, I don't know. I, I I know we're still going to look at these guys tomorrow morning at fourteen years of age and saying, "Jesus, that guy is wow! Look at him. He's so powerful. He's he's brilliant. Yeah. He's dominating this." But it's 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 to keep those other guys going, and then obviously to find a challenge for those fellas. And whether it's whether it's bio banding and and having having those guys set a challenge that that's at their level, whether they're playing up against the you know some of the under fifteen guys who are the, the later matures. I, I think there's a lot in that 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 could really challenge everybody if you if you do it properly and put a bit of thought into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that that you're making, Mike, I suppose the, like a, a big message is like why reward the early maturing player. For their like as I said, the genetic lottery of being mm. more advanced in their physical attributes, because we know and we can see that long term it probably does them no favors. Mm. Um, short term it might do them a little bit, but like long term it, it'll probably do them no favors. So so like that's and that's a a really important point to make. Like that, like why why would you why would you allow that? Like you're probably going to do them a disservice when they get to you know their their older age groups anyway. Like, um, a genetic lottery, I like that. It, yeah, well, it is like that's what it is because I mean they have no control over it. Um, and they, I used to have a nice uh, analogy in one of my presentations around popcorn and the way it develops at different rates and levels. And like every child has their opportunity for the popcorn or for or popcorn will pop at its own level basically, and that's the same with with players and so on. So that'll that'll kind of um that'll level out as as they go as they get a little bit older and so on for sure, like. I saw the um, popcorn one, yeah. Same heat, same oil, same yeah. temperature, and yeah. they're all they're all popping at different rates. Yeah, it, it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and like and and that is that is basically one of the kind of I suppose the big messages really there really. Yeah, yeah, Fionn, uh, I I'm appreciative of your time, man, and I don't want to I don't want to delay you much longer. Is there is there anything is there any one point, Fionn, that just to kind of uh, no, it's a hard area to to go and encapsulate in in uh, a statement, but. Is there anything there now that we haven't touched on that you think is very important, man? That we that we maybe highlight before we finish? Um, like to be honest, there's loads we could be chatting about this for hours, but I mean that's the kind of the general gist of it. I think it's probably important. Like I, I had three kind of main uh, targets with this in relation to maybe helping coaches. Number one was to increase awareness, um, at, at club and and kind of county level. And by the way, just to kind of make this point as well, is that this is re- relevant to a number of different other sports because. More than likely, your early and late maturing players that I'm on about here in, say, I'm, I'm just looking at Gaelic football. They're also the same guys that are playing soccer and basketball mm. and probably a lot of the other ones. So the likes of athletics is an interesting one, um, as well. So, so, so it's 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 uh it's relevant to to a lot of these sports, like, and mm-hmm. um, but just thinking long term, really, I suppose, understanding a little bit about a lot of this, like, is is important. But being open minded and patient, um, like, understanding that you know that. This the short term effects here can be, you know, quite sudden and drastic and severe for these players. But ultimately, once they kind of get through this, then it's it's an awful lot more of a, a living play, a level playing field. Then I suppose for them, of course, it's not really a level playing field in in those age groups at, at that given time, and it's not their fault. Yeah. Um. So so just kind of keeping that in mind, I suppose. Really, like yeah. You you said you had three things. You had increasing awareness. Did you give me the yeah. two? The, the second one was 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 monitoring. So okay. like so it was was actually monitoring because. As much as I've spoken about, like even at a club level, um, maybe estimating and and understanding a bit more. But if you if you monitor, if you if you measure, it's it's really easy from there. And this is not you don't need to be an accountant or anything complicated. If anyone wants to reach out to me afterwards, I can um most certainly help help in that. It's 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 relatively straightforward. And then 
thirdly would be the practices and we've kind of touched on some of these so things like by bending is one example but like uh, looking at maybe individualizing training players playing up and down maybe identifying if players are getting injured quite a bit or if they're at a, a kind of a risk that perspective so there's a load of different simple i would say low-hanging fruit um, mm-hmm. that anyone can do without necessarily having to be you know have resource major resources or anything like that yeah which is obviously going to improve the development of of your players whatever whatever sport that is um yeah. I, I it's funny i have uh upstairs I measure the kids there every couple of months just for, for the crack really yeah yeah but I put them standing against a, a door or one of the bedroom their bedroom door and I get a little marker and I mark it and I write in the data or whatever I have to cover it with a coat then because their mother will kill me if they uh, <laughs> if they see the mark on the door but um, and it's funny I did it the other day there and I was I was looking at them from the last time I measured and, and where they are now uh, and it's just something yeah it's it's an, I suppose that's that's it man it's an awareness and, and just to keep a very rough kind of track in it that's a that's a great like that's a, just a real simple good example good example like very, very good example of that like um it doesn't have to be anything major at all but like if you see anything kind of sudden enough there based on what you're doing and if you're doing it relatively consistently that's even a a flat a, a flag a red flag mm. for you like you know mm. um so yeah no anything like that is is definitely a, a useful for sure brilliant fion thanks thanks a million man um yeah, it's late. We're actually doing this at night time for the people that are listening to to try and uh, just catch a catch a break in our schedule. So for the people that are listening again, um, just a reminder that this this is a a fundraiser, I suppose, for Recovery Haven in Tralee. Uh, the people that provide free cancer support services for the people in Kerry and and all around. Um, and again, if you if you uh, if you enjoyed some of the content there or, or last week. You know, I would be very appreciative. I would be very appreciative of of uh, of a donation of any couple of euros to the to the fundraising page that's attached to this, and it all goes very much directly to uh, Recovery Haven. So, Fionn, thanks a million for your time, man. I found that fascinating, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure coaches will get a lot out of it too. Yeah, no problem. And if anyone like, there, there's uh, this kind of early enough days in a lot of this research. So, if anyone wants to kind of reach out, there's a lot more projects coming later next year. Um, from a, a national perspective, probably, and definitely um, kind of locally and stuff as well. Um, so I, I do think that any coaches who just want a little bit more information, I'm actually looking at developing a youth a youth program, athletic development program, myself very much based around maturity levels and so on as well, which which I think, um, so I think there's a lot, a lot more that can be kind of um, teased out as, over, the next, uh, over the next while on this. But um, yeah, thanks again, Mike. And I think, the, as I said, the idea of linking in with a charity is is a nice touch. So hopefully coaches will, uh, they find it useful. They'll uh, contribute a couple of up. Brilliant, man. Thanks again for your time, Fionn. Yeah, really appreciate no it. Take it easy, Mike. All right.